<laughs> All right. Well, being a mom is a great job, but also a hard job at the same time. Maybe one of the hardest on the planet, being a parent in general, because a lot of times you're not even sure what you're supposed to be doing. You're not even certain what the goal markers ought to be. And even on those days you say, I know what the goals are, it's very difficult to accomplish them because kids do not tend to always be cooperative uh, with our goals for their lives, right? So uh, it can be a difficult job. There is exhaustion. There's the struggle of comparison when you look and you go every other mom on Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest seems to have it together and their kids are always wearing clothes and they don't have they don't have fingers in their noses and so you you often feel this despair of I don't measure up being a mother can be challenging this past week on Facebook I asked for moms to tell me what's the best bit of advice that your own mom gave you about being a mom and uh People gave me a lot of great input. A lot of the input relates to things we'll talk about a bit this morning. Treasuring the opportunity, taking life one day at a time. But I also had to laugh because some of the input I got was simply about survival. Uh, Just day to day, get through. So one mom said, you just need to take a shower and get out of the house every day, right? That was her definition of victory, right? I am clean. And that's it. One mom who was a somewhat, is a somewhat demure and sweet mom actually wrote that her mom told her, look, some days are just poop days, right? That was her advice. Just know that as you are a, a mom. Um, others said, choose your battles, which is true, but it always makes me chuckle because we envision moms as these generals fighting a war on multiple fronts, right? And you have to choose your battle. So it's not family, it's war, right? And you get up in the morning and you armor up and you're ready to go and you have to pick which battles to fight. We recognize that it is a hard task. Uh, It was a hard task even in the scripture. And as I was looking for passages relating to mothers throughout the Bible this week, I actually ran across one that could illustrate how hard a task it is. Lamentations 4.10, the hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children, right? (laughs) What mom has not felt that way? I'm compassionate, but if they argue one more time, I'm going to boil them, right? Now, I am taking that way out of context, as you probably recognize. It is not literally talking about people boiling their kids as a parenting strategy, but is uh, talking about the exile of the nation of Israel, right? But parenting is difficult. And yet, here's what I found also, that despite the difficulty of the task, I had a lot of moms who did write to me things like, treasure this time you have with your kids, One mom said, these are the days. Another said, enjoy the stage you're in and don't look toward the next one. That's actually great advice, not just for moms, but for everybody. Enjoy where God has you and don't always be looking to the next thing. When they enter school, when they hit high school, when they can drive, when they can go to college, when they're grown up, whatever it may be, don't always look toward that next thing. So there's this tension, I think, that parents in general feel that is, I want to treasure and cherish the opportunity God has given me, but I also recognize this is hard to do in the day-to-day grind of being a parent. 
And so the question comes up, how, how do we do that? Wherever we are in life, really, whether you're a mom or a dad or you're not a parent or you're married, you're single, whatever it is, how is it that we can treasure the opportunity that God has given us to participate in his work? Because even if you are not a parent, you are tasked through Jesus to invest in other people's lives with the good news of Jesus Christ. How do we do that when the task is difficult? And yet we still recognize, I want to cherish the opportunity that God has given. Well, in order to examine that question this morning, we're going to look at the life of one mom from the New Testament. We're going to look at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We will look at Luke chapter 2 and see how did Mary actually manage to accomplish uh, parenting in a way that uh, treasured the opportunity that she had, even in the midst of chaos and difficulty. As you look at Mary's life throughout the book of Luke in particular, you see her as a person who maintains this walk with God and this love for her son, even in the midst of chaos. Now, granted, I know many of you are thinking uh, Mary had an advantage over me because her son was... God in the flesh, right? Uh, My kids are certainly not. I don't need to uh, expound upon that, but we recognize that our kids are different. And yet in many ways, I I can't imagine that raising Jesus was a whole lot easier than raising any other kid. It posed its own challenges. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 41 to 52 as we see how did Mary manage to do well by her son while walking with the Lord. Now, this is a fascinating passage, one of the few childhood narratives that we have about Jesus, starting in verse 41 of Luke 2. Read with me. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So what we have really in some ways is a a pretty typical scene. That is that Mary and Joseph are going to Jerusalem for the yearly celebration of the Passover. On the way back, as, as they're returning, Jesus is 12 years old, so they're probably not watching him as closely as you might watch a toddler. And they just sort of assume that he's with the group somewhere. After a day, they realize he's not here. And uh, every parent has had moments of that 
panic. As soon as your child begins to be able to move about on his or her own, you will probably have a moment at least where you go, where, where is he? Where did he go? And every parent on some level can relate to this fear that Mary and Joseph feel. Uh, I will never forget uh, about six or seven years ago when our middle daughter was only around two, she got lost at the church picnic at Veterans Park with hundreds of people around. And for about 20 or 30 minutes, we could not find her. And I remember the anxiety and the terror that we felt. What happened to her? Where did she go? You begin to understand those parents that keep their kids on a leash, right? You go, maybe we could just extend the length of the leash as they get older until they're leashed all the way to college, right? And we can just reel them back in. Well, Mary and Joseph feel that. They go back to Jerusalem and they can't can't find him for three days. Now you can imagine the panic that that induces. They finally find him in the temple, teaching and listening to the religious leaders of the day. They find him and Mary's response is exactly what I think any mother would have said. Son, why did you do this to us? We have been looking for you for days And Jesus' response is classic Jesus. He answers her question with another question. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Why were you looking for me? Now, if I were Mary or Joseph, uh, I would be tempted to respond by something like, I'll show you your father's house, right? When we get home, (laughs) you'll see what that means, right? Uh, But instead, it says they just simply didn't understand what he was trying to say. And Jesus then went home in subjection to them, even though he had just told them, I have a special relationship with God the Father. Right? Remember, this is the Son of God. And yet he goes home and he's in subjection to Mary and Joseph. And then the very next verse, it says, Mary treasured or guarded all of these things in her heart. And the the idea is that Mary treasured the opportunity to be a part of what God was doing. Because she recognized God had entrusted her with this child. Okay, so what we see in the life of Mary is this principle that I think applies to moms, but honestly applies to all of us. And that is this, that we are called treasure your God-given role. And as a mom, if that is your role right now, treasure your God-given role as a mom. Now, I want to be clear. uh, I do not mean that every moment is one that you want to Instagram, right? Uh, Not every moment is one that you're going to say, I'm going to take a picture of that. I'm going to frame it because if your kids are, you know, slapping each other, you're not going to look back and go, I just treasure that, right? Uh, I remember when we had very small kids, it was not uncommon uh, when you're wrestling with them in the grocery store and their diaper is dirty and they're screaming and they're crying and somebody would come by and go, cherish every moment, right? You go, this is not a cherishable moment right here, right? This is a moment that I want to block out with the help of therapy someday, right? And so you do not necessarily have to cherish and treasure everything that is happening. But what it is getting at is this, that Mary looked and said, I have an opportunity, even in the midst of chaos, to invest in his life, to be a significant impact in the life of this child, who in her case is the son of God. And so even as you're in the trenches, you treasure that God has entrusted you with something significant. And then as the passage continues, it says that Jesus went home and under Mary and Joseph's shepherding, Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom, 
He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God and man. So as you accept and treasure the role that God has given you in life, you pray and encourage your kids toward growth in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. Of course, you won't always be involved in helping them grow taller. They will eventually reach a full height and grow up. But you always have the opportunity for your own life, for their life, to be involved in helping them grow in wisdom, in favor with God, favor with man. And again, whether you are a parent or not, as you're pouring into the lives of other men and women, you have the opportunity to help them grow closer to God and to obey the command to love God and love others. So what we'll see is that Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary treasures all these things, but then she encouraged her kids to grow, encouraged Jesus to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. So first it says, Jesus grew in wisdom. Uh, Jesus grew in wisdom. If you remember when we talked about Ecclesiastes, we talked about how wisdom is not the same as just being smart or having lots of information, but instead wisdom is that ability to take the principles of God's word and apply them to our lives. So wisdom is the ability to read what God's word says about being generous, about being uh, wise with money and say, what should I do with my money in my bank account? Or to read God's word about how we should be kind and loving toward others and say, how should my relationships reflect the character of God when I'm interacting with people at work and at church and in my neighborhood? So moms, you have the opportunity to help your kids and pray for your kids to grow in wisdom, to navigate life with skill so that they use their money, their time, in a way that honors God, so that they pursue romantic relationships and friendships and work relationships in a way that honors God. And never underestimate the role that you have as an imparter of that wisdom. I can still remember words of wisdom that my mom would say when I was a kid. One that I remember is if my brothers and I were fighting Sometimes she would tell us, look, uh, your friends may come and go, but your brothers are going to be around forever, right? And in the back of my mind, I would often think, oh no, right? Oh oh no. But the reality is that's true. And we tell our kids the same thing. I asked my brothers if they could remember other things mom said. Uh, One of my brothers said that, and I don't remember this. Apparently mom said, uh, life is short and then you die. Uh, Now I don't remember her saying that. And I said, you know, that's kind of sad, but uh, he said, no, it is It is straight out of Ecclesiastes, isn't it? Uh, You have a limited amount of time in your life to do the things that God has called you to do. So make the most of the time. Another one uh, that I remember is a little bit of dirt, never hurt Bert. And then often she would uh, append or Ernie onto the end of that. Uh, I don't know who Bert was, uh, but the idea is, look, a little bit of dirt when you are playing, when you're engaging with others, when you're having a good time, who really cares if you're dirty? Right? And I've tried even to remember that small principle in my own relationship with my kids. I have heard Shannon say things to our kids that I know they will remember, tidbits of wisdom. So one of my favorites is if she's instructing them to do a particular job around the house, she will say, uh, for example, Samuel, please wipe the table and don't you give it a lick and a promise. 
right? We hear that all the time. Don't you give it a lick and a promise. I looked up where that came from because I had never heard it until I married Shannon. Turns out the uh, original image apparently is of a cat who kind of, you know, gives its face a little lick with the intention that he'll watch the whole thing later, right? Don't you give it a lick and a promise. Uh, She will frequently say to them, be a blessing. How can you be a blessing to others in your life? Another one, don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. That's straight out of the Sermon on the Mount, but it is uh, rephrased in a way that we remember. All right, you can be an imparter of wisdom to your kids. Brian Fisher, our, our senior pastor who teaches over at our Anderson campus, asked for mom wisdom as well on Facebook, and I was reading some of the comments on his post, and uh, there were some gems on there as well. If you lay down with dogs, you're going to get fleas, right? Talking about friendships. Bad decisions limit future options. I love that. That's so true. And somebody remembered that from their mom. Uh, Marion Aggie, right? Amen. Uh, there, there are sayings that we all remember. I remembered also one, and I can't remember if this came from my mom or someone else's mom, but uh, about authority. I'm the boss, applesauce, understand, rubber band, right? Some of you will remember that. Uh, there's apparently a second half of that that I had never read before this week, and it goes, don't get wise, bubble eyes, I'll knock you down to peanut size. So I've never heard that <laughs> before, and we've never said that uh, around our house. But what, what, what this is, is this is wisdom, right? Wisdom about authority, wisdom about relationships. Moms, you get to be an imparter of wisdom. And some of you are thinking right now, look, I, I speak wisdom all day long, and they don't listen to it, right? It bounces off their foreheads and lands on the floor. I promise you, they hear it it does get absorbed into their minds and hearts. Uh, Most of you are familiar with the excellent wife of Proverbs 31, the description of the excellent wife, one of the most famous passages in the book of Proverbs. Uh, That is in the second half of the book, or of, of the chapter of Proverbs 31. You are probably less familiar with the first half of Proverbs 31. The first half of Proverbs 31 is a wisdom oracle written by someone named King Lemuel. And it is an oracle, he says, given to him by his mother. Uh, We don't know anything else about King Lemuel other than that he wrote this part of the book of Proverbs. And so given the opportunity, I don't know if it was like Solomon was like, hey, I got a couple pages left, Lemuel. Right? What do you want to write? The one thing that he decides to write that will last for all eternity are these words from his mother. Now listen to how it begins, because I love this. This is Proverbs 31, 1 to 2. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Now listen, here's how it begins, the oracle. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? All right, three times she says, Lemuel, what are you doing, right? Every mom can relate to that. But then she goes on and she gives him great advice. She says, Lemuel, you stay away from adulterous women. Lemuel, stay away from drunkenness because it is not fit for kings to be drunk. And then she says, guard the rights of the poor and the oppressed, do justice. And Lemuel says, my mom gave me the best advice about being a king. And so he wrote it down for us to always remember Your kids are listening even when you think they're not. Jesus grew in wisdom partly because of his earthly mother and father and their influence on his life. 
and you have the opportunity to be an imparter of wisdom to your kids, to those in your life whom you are helping to grow into the character of Jesus Christ. So Jesus grew in wisdom. Secondly, Jesus grew in stature. That is physical growth, right? Mary had the opportunity to see that happen and be a part of his physical growth. All of us who have kids uh, often marvel at how quickly they grow. I remember when Shannon was pregnant with our first child, I would get these emails from a baby website describing what size the little baby was inside of her every week. And they would always compare it to some type of vegetable or fruit, you know? So be like this week, it's a lima bean, right? This week, your baby is like a tangerine, right? This week, your baby is like the size of an apple and then a banana and then I guess eventually like a watermelon. I don't know if it ever got that size, but I don't know why it was always fruits and vegetables and not like bread or, you know, little treats like a cinnamon roll and a cupcake and all that kind of stuff. I just thought that would be so much more appealing to read, right? This is the size of, you know, a giant birthday cake, but they always used fruit to convey this idea of growth. And I remember looking at them and going, this is astounding. And then we met the baby and the baby kept growing and growing and growing. And we had an opportunity to be a part of seeing and even facilitating that growth, right? Jesus grows in stature and Mary, like every mother, fed that baby, put clothes on that boy, made sure that he was taken care of when he was sick, changed him when he was dirty, cleaned him up. And I read that and I think it's a reminder to never underestimate the value of the physical care that you provide for your kids. It's it's a job, frankly, that is uh, very unseen. It's a job that is uh, generally underappreciated. And yet it's a job that reflects actually the love and tenderness of God himself. As you feed and care for and clothe those children, it reflects God's love and God's character. When God in Isaiah 49 wanted to describe the love he had for his people, he used the illustration of a nursing mom. Look at this, Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, and yet I will not forget you. In other words, what Isaiah is getting at is this, that uh, when God wants to think about what is the most tender, most compassionate, most loyal love that he can think of, he says, a mom nursing that baby. And yet, yes, it's true that sometimes even nursing moms forget about or leave behind their children. But he says, even if that greatest love in human terms doesn't work out, I will not forget you. The love you demonstrate to your children as you feed and care for them reflects the tender heart of God. When the Apostle Paul wanted to describe his love for the Thessalonian church, he also used the analogy of a nursing mother. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. It's a deeply significant role that reflects God's character. I have always been amazed at Shannon's ability to keep her finger on the pulse of what our kids need physically. 
how intuitively she thinks about it. She has a thermometer in her hands. She can feel their forehead and go, nope, they feel warm or nope, they feel normal. They need to go to bed, they're sick. And, and I feel, and they always feel warm to me. And I think we're mammals, right? We're always warm. But she has this ability to know if this child is three or four degrees too warm. Right? When we go to places outside, a water park or wherever it may be, just to the park, she always will have bottles of water and granola bars and snacks for the kids. I'm not kidding. I have taken the kids outside for like a day to pick blackberries and forgotten to bring them water. But she intuitively understands those needs. And as Jesus grew in stature, Mary, as his mother, has this opportunity to participate in that growth as a reflection of God's love and God's tenderness and God's compassion. Moms, that is an opportunity that you have in your role that I think is like almost no other role on the planet. And the irony is, in the day-to-day, it's probably the thing that feels the least important, if you're honest. I know every parent, but perhaps especially moms, have had those moments where they thought, you know, my husband or others in the world are off doing important things, and I am wiping stuff all day. But as Jesus grew in stature, he got to observe through his mom the character of God's tenderness. So Jesus grows in wisdom. Jesus grows in stature. Thirdly, Jesus grew in favor with God. That is his spiritual development. As you look through the book of Luke, you see that Mary and Joseph were pretty devout in terms of celebrating and responding to God's word. Right? So even at the beginning of our passage from this morning, you notice they are headed to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That was a yearly festival and they were supposed to do that, but not all Jews did that. In fact, one of the reasons that the Jewish people were exiled for 70 years to Babylon was because they did not celebrate the Passover or the feasts. And yet Mary and Joseph would travel every year to Jerusalem. This was not, by the way, a wealthy family that had a big travel budget. In fact, the offering that they gave at the temple when Jesus was born was two turtle doves, which the Old Testament tells us that's the offering for the poor if they can't afford anything else. That was Mary and Joseph. And yet they dug deep in their pockets every year to obey God and go celebrate the Passover. And so Jesus grew up in this environment where his parents cared about God and about obeying his commands. I promise you that the single most important way that our children will learn about God is by observing their parents know God and seek God. In fact, I ran across a study this week that said that the single most important factor in whether teens keep their faith as young adults is whether their parents practiced what they preached. Some of this, it says, mothers and fathers who practice what they preach and preach what they practice are far and away the major influence related to adolescents keeping the faith into their 20s. It goes on, it says, 82% of children raised by parents who talked about faith at home attached great importance to their beliefs and were active in their congregations were themselves religiously active as young adults, according to data from the latest wave of the National Study of Youth and Religion. 
One of the researchers said this, no other conceivable causal influence comes remotely close to matching the influence of parents on the religious faith and practices of youth. Parents just dominate. Now, again, there are no guarantees. Even in that study, you notice, although 82% of the kids followed the Lord in adulthood, 18% did not. You can do everything right, and your kids may still make choices not to follow the Lord. There are no guarantees. But what we see in the scripture and what we see from even studies like this is that the single most important factor is actually not how much you know about the Bible or what curriculum uh, you lead them toward or even the things that you say, but do they observe you trying to walk with God? And that's difficult to do, especially in the chaos of having young children. And I read this week a little bit about Susanna Wesley. Some of you will recognize that name, some of you will not. Uh, Susanna Wesley was the mother of, she had 10 children, but two of them are relatively famous, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. They were the founders of the Methodist Church. John Wesley was a great preacher and evangelist. Charles Wesley was a great songwriter and hymn writer. Even if you don't know his name, you know his songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing and And Can It Be That I Should Gain and a a thousand other hymns, and I'm really hardly exaggerating, hundreds of hymns that we still sing today. Well, Susanna Wesley had 10 kids and her house was often chaotic. Her husband was often gone. She had a troubled marriage. And so her husband was frequently away from the house, either because of disagreements that they had had or because, frankly, he was a financial wreck. Uh, He went to debtor's prison on at least one occasion and was gone for a long period of time. So Susanna Wesley was left to shepherd these 10 children at a small house all alone, and it was chaotic. And yet she said, I want them to see me walking with God. And so here's what... She did. On a daily basis, she would sit in her chair and she would take her apron and flip it up onto her face. And she would tell those 10 kids, look, when the apron is on mommy's face, I'm praying, so be quiet. And so she would pray for two hours as I guess they just ran around. I'm skeptical that they they never interrupted her, right? Uh, But she would pray to model for them what it looked like to walk with God even in the midst of chaos, right? Ladies, that is a strategy. You could grab your pillowcase, put it on your head, right? You tell the kids when the pillowcase is on mommy's face, I'm not here, right? I'm praying. Susanna Wesley to her husband during one of his long absences wrote a letter and here's what she said. I am a woman, but I am also the mistress of a large family. And though the superior charge of the souls contained in it lies upon you, yet in your long absence I cannot but look upon every soul you leave under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. I am not a man nor a minister, yet as a mother and a mistress I felt I ought to do more than I had yet done. I resolved to begin with my own children, in which I observe the following method. I take such a proportion of time as I can spare every night to discourse with each child apart. On Monday, I talk with Molly. On Tuesday, with Hetty. Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday, with Jackie. Friday, with Patty. Saturday, with Charles. You see what she's saying is each day of the week, she said, I will just have a conversation about spiritual matters with one of these many children. And they would see her praying and see her engaging with God. It's interesting In the law, 
when God talks about how to encourage the next generation to know and serve God. It's interesting what we see God command the people to do. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now listen to this. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, how do you train the next generation to know God? You talk about him while you're eating. You talk about him when you go to bed at night, when you wake up in the morning. You write his name on your head and on your hands and on your house itself. And you make a statement that we are a house and a family that will serve and worship God. You don't have to have a special seminary degree. You don't have to have books of the Bible memorized. You don't have to be a genius. You just walk with Jesus day by day in the presence of your kids. Every morning as my kids come into breakfast, they have the opportunity to see my wife as she reads the word of God and prays as they pass by our room. And over the years, I've seen particularly our older two begin to do the same thing. Before they go to bed at night, they pull out that Bible and they begin to read. A couple of months ago, I was at Chris and Erica Thompson's house, our friends, and uh, I looked around the kitchen, and I noticed that around the kitchen, there were post-it notes all over, on the oven, on the fridge, on the pantry, everywhere, on the cabinets, throughout the house, and all of those post-it notes had scripture references on them. And I asked Chris about it. And he told me, yes, Erica does that so she can surround herself with the word of God throughout the day, take it into her heart and her mind. But as she does that, something else is happening. And that is every time their kids reach for the bread, for the milk, for the grapes, they're encountered by the word of God. And it doesn't take a seminary degree to do that, but simply walk with God in the presence of your family. And Mary and Joseph, as you see throughout the scriptures, that seems to have been their mode. We see Mary giving thanks to God when she first knows she's expecting Jesus. We see Joseph standing up and agreeing to marry her. We see them travel for these feasts. We see them teaching their children to know God. And so Jesus grew in stature, in wisdom, in favor with God. And it matters. Paul in 2 Timothy would write this to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. See, Timothy's father was a a Greek man and likely one who did not believe in Jesus, at least until later in life. And so Timothy inherited his faith from his mom. That is where the flames of faith were first kindled in his heart. And he grew up to be a pastor and a church planner and a man who followed God with his life. So we pray and encourage our kids to grow in favor 
with God. And then fourthly, in favor with men. Jesus grew in favor with men. You might call this social growth. I mentioned earlier that uh, one of our expressions around our house is to think about how you can be a blessing. How can you bless others around you, whether it's your teachers, your classmates, our neighbors, those we see at the grocery store or McDonald's? How can you reflect to those men and women the love and the truth and the kindness of God in Jesus Christ? That is social growth. This is why manners and politeness uh, matter. Uh, Some of you are engaged in that great ongoing struggle to get your kids to learn table manners and to say please and thank you and all of those things that they don't want to have to do. It matters because when we express politeness and kindness toward others, we are acknowledging that I am face to face with somebody made in the image of God who needs to know Jesus. And so I will reflect his character to them. And that character includes love, kindness, respect. And so Jesus grows in favor with men as Mary and Joseph train him to do that. I see some of you in the hallways here on a weekly basis and you're wrestling with your kids to get them to engage people with kindness and politeness so that when someone comes up and says, hi, how are you? They look at the person in the eye and they go, hello, I'm good. How are you? But I see some of them, uh, and and our kids have been there too. They run right behind your leg and they grab on and they don't want to talk and you're trying to drag them out and go, say hi, say hi, right? (laughs) Others of you have the opposite problem. Somebody says, hi, how are you? And the, the kid just begins to talk, right? With no concern for the fact that the other person might want to say something. And so on the way home, you say, son, I have told you just because you think it in your head doesn't mean it has to emerge out of your mouth, right? And so you're trying to train them to think of others. And I want to encourage you this morning, stick with it. It matters. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see Jesus learning how to do that. One verse that you might consider as you train your kids to engage with others socially. Colossians chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I uh, shared this first hour, second hour. My mom is actually here. So I'm going to admit something that I may never have admitted to her before. Uh, When we were kids, my mom was really big on making us write thank you notes uh, after every major event, Christmas or Uh, You know, even if we got Easter presents or uh, birthday presents or things like that, we would have to sit down with a pen and a card and write a note and you would brainstorm. You know, it felt like there were a thousand notes to write. It was probably more like eight or ten. And you would brainstorm and rack your brains. How can I say this differently? How can I thank people for stuff, frankly, I didn't ask for and didn't want, right? How can I thank somebody who sends me five dollars when I really would prefer 50, right? Thank you for the $5, inflation being what it is, I will buy a lollipop, dear, you know, love, whatever. 
And I would sit down and I would write these notes uh, on a uh, twice a year basis. And, and actually, Shannon now encourages our kids to do the same. And I hated it. I hated it. Right? And, and I'm sure that it was not easy for my mom to do either, as we pretended like our hands were dead and writhed in pain at the table. Right? But I'll tell you this. I cannot tell you how many times in my role as a pastor that I am called upon to write thank you notes to people to express gratitude, to develop a heart of gratitude, right? It, it matters to train and invest in our kids to know and love God and then to know how to love other people. So we see Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and men, right? Again, treasure your God-given role as a mom or as a dad or as an individual who is pouring into the lives of other people. See it as a trust from God and recognize it's a significant task. It matters, even when it seems it does not. I want to close with some encouragement, particularly for moms in here who may feel inadequate, overwhelmed, like you hear all of this and you say, man, I'm not doing a good job. The encouragement is simply going to be, uh, stick with it. Uh, When I solicited, solicited advice on Facebook, This week, I also had a few people send me private messages because there were things they wanted to share that they did not want to share publicly about being a mom and about their own mom. And uh, one woman, I asked her permission to share this with you this morning. She sent me a message and explained to me that when she was in around junior high, her mom left the family. She said, my mom left and we didn't have contact with her for 23 years. She just disappeared. And she said, my mom advice is this, just be there. It doesn't have to be perfect or Pinteresty or homemade or full of deep life-changing spiritual moments. All I wanted was a mom to hear about a good grade I made or a bad one, to help me pick out a dress, to cook a meal for me, to see me graduate from high school and college, watch me get married, see my children be born. The list goes on and on. All those seem like givens in the mom world, but when you don't have them, you really miss them. I think we need to give ourselves a break and realize that just being a mom to a child on a daily basis is really, really special. Just be there. Love them and tell them you love them. That is life-changing. All right, what she's saying is this, is the task itself is deeply significant, even in those moments that that don't seem significant. And that's what I love about Luke chapter 2 when we look at the life of Mary, is even in chaos and stress, she sets her hope on God and she trusts him and treasures the opportunity to be a part of his work. Because it's a significant thing God has called us all to, to invest in the lives of the next generation. And again, that's a calling we have as dads and moms, but also as men and women who are a part of the body of Christ, called to the Great Commission to see the next generation come to know him and worship him. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for this time, and I thank you for every person in this room, wherever they find themselves on their life journey, mom or not, I pray all of us would treasure the significant opportunity that we have to invest in the lives of your people. 
I pray for those who are moms in this room. Uh, remind them that uh, their kids are your people and they have an opportunity to help shape their lives, to pray for their kids to know you and to encourage them in that direction. I pray we'd be faithful with whatever task you have given us through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.